Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Today, we, uh, I intend, anyway, I, I can't see any reason why we can't. Uh, my intention is to wrap up this series on the armor of God. And before I get into it, and we'll, we'll start, as always, with this, the same passage of Scripture, I want to thank you for your encouraging words. The response to this series has been tremendous. Uh, and it's always gratifying to hear from people saying, wow, I really enjoyed your sermon, but this seems to be more than that. It's like you're taking these things to heart. You're appreciating what, uh, what the Word of God is saying and what it means to you. I trust you are applying it, and this is what we're going to be looking at today. We've, we've examined every piece of armor in this list, and we're going to talk today about putting it on. But let's read in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, <clears throat> against the rulers, Sorry, rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We started this series with the first half of that passage, which lays out the nature of the struggle. It is spiritual warfare we're talking about. And uh, we are armed, armored against a spiritual enemy. The spirit world is real. The Bible that affirms the existence of God, the deity of Christ, also affirms the existence of Satan and demons. We cannot deny that. And these, he is our enemy. Satan is our enemy, and he manifests himself with these attacks, these darts, uh, and we are in a battle with him. We are not in a battle with people of other religions. We are not in a battle with the unsaved. We are in a battle for them, right? And for ourselves as well. We're being attacked, and we defend ourselves with this armor, but we also... Uh, go on the uh, offensive, as we'll see here, and as we've already talked about. Um, that's our enemy, and our enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And you and I know, or should know, that he has already been defeated. His doom is sure. His fate is sealed. Uh, but he has not yet been ultimately bound and is actively trying to deceive the nations and to turn people away and nations away from the only hope they ever had. And that hope, of course, is the finished work of Christ on the cross. And we look, looked at the individual components of the armor, and we started with the belt of truth. And review these quickly before we get into this last bit. The belt of truth. This is the necessity of being convinced, believing, and knowing what God has revealed to us. The logos of God. The, the, uh, the logos, many of you believe and know and understand uh, or have heard the definition, logos as the written word. 
Uh, it certainly includes the written word, but there's more to it than that. The Logos can be really more properly understood as the comprehensive, objective truth that God has revealed about himself, about us, all right? Every word God has spoken is also the Logos. Jesus is the Logos. Jesus is not the written word, but he is the Logos. He is the revelation of God's truth. Now, if we talk about the written word, Scripture, that word is actually graphe, as in autograph, okay? And we'll talk a little bit. I bring that up for a reason. Uh, so it certainly encompasses, uh, everything that encompasses the objective truth of God that has been communicated to us and been preserved in the graphe uh, and most clearly revealed in Jesus Christ is the truth. And we start from the position that Jesus is exactly who the Bible says he is, that we are exactly who the Bible says we are, uh, and that Jesus is the only way to God the Father, the only mediator between God and man. Uh, this is the truth the enemy is trying desperately to turn mankind away from. There is no purpose, there's no meaning in delivering this gospel, standing on the word, defending the word, if it is just one of many ways to God. It's not that we're fighting for supremacy for our point of view, it's our conviction that it is the only hope of mankind. And our conviction of that truth and our embracing of that truth is the belt that holds everything else together. It binds the rest of the armor together and all of our weapons hang on that truth. The truth, again, most clearly revealed in Jesus Christ. The breastplate of righteousness, again, this is protection for our hearts. If our hearts condemn us, uh, that condemnation is not from God but from the enemy. And we rejoice, we take comfort in knowing that the righteousness from which this breastplate is formed is not our righteousness, it's his righteousness. We'll come back around a little bit more when we talk about putting it on. The shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace speaks to our message and our mission, right? These shoes are made for walking. We are going somewhere to preach the gospel. This is our mission. This is our purpose in life. Uh, there is a direct link between these shoes and the great commission to go into all the world. The shield of faith, of course, is defensive. We talked about how we don't use a shield to get or acquire something, that, but to protect ourselves and protect anything behind that shield. Uh, this is important because legally, uh, from God's point of view, certain things belong to us. And we need to know they belong to us simply because he promised them to us. And the enemy tries to, what? Steal them from us. And these fiery darts, these flaming arrows come at us and we defend ourselves. We defend what is promised to us with that shield. But as we talked about, the, that shield must be, just as the Roman soldier had to soak that shield in water to extinguish those fiery darts, we've got to be soaked in the word of God, the water of the word to extinguish the enemy's fiery darts. Helmet of Salvation speaks to the battlefield of the mind, more specifically to renewing our minds by the Word of God uh, once we have been saved. We, we talked, uh, when we talked about the helmet, about how the mind is the interface between the world, the physical world, and the spiritual world, and that our born-again spirit is created to respond to God, and God speaks to our spirit, draws on our spirit, but our flesh still responds to fleshly lusts, and the devil uh, pulls on us through the flesh, not through the spirit. And so where the battle is going to be won is what we set our minds on, what we meditate on. Uh, again, uh, this, um, yeah, well, again, 
come back around to it when we talk about putting it on. The sword of the Spirit, uh, a distinctly offensive weapon, is the Word of God. It's worth noting here that even though we depict our Bibles as swords, the, the Greek word that's used here when it talks about the Word of God being the sword of the Spirit is not the logos, it's not the graphe, it's what? It's rhema, rhema. Uh, most commonly translated the spoken word. And it's not, again, it's not quite that simple, and we'll come back around to it. Um, Rhema is actually a subset of the logos, the comprehensive revealed truth of God. And uh, better yet, it's an application of logos. We talked last week about how our sword is the word of God, but the word of God is more than a sword, right? It is water for washing. It is water for drinking. It is food for eating. It is seed for planting, and so on. But when it comes to spiritual warfare, the word is our sword. And that is the perfect segue into what we are doing today and how to put the armor on. Notice that in the Ephesians passage, Paul doesn't just tell us what the armor is. He tells us, God tells us through Paul to put it on, to take it up. What's it say? Gird yourself with truth. Put on the breastplate. Shoe your feet. Take the shield of faith. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. How do we do this? And we've already talked about some of this. It was, uh, it was unavoidable, especially for a couple of these pieces of armor, but let's spell it out a little bit more. It's not complicated, so I don't believe this is a long sermon, uh, which is why we had time for that recap. And the fact that it is not complicated, I believe, is demonstrated by the fact that Paul, doesn't, Paul himself doesn't offer specific instructions. He tells us what these pieces of armor are, armor are and tells us to put them on. So it's pretty self-explanatory. But it's not going to hurt us to think about this just a little bit more. And a lot of it, most of it, boils down to knowing these things and speaking these things, speaking them over ourselves. But for instance, we can't just speak them in a vacuum. We cannot just say, for instance, in Jesus' name, I put on the belt of truth. That is not how we put on truth. In John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, it says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And what's this, what's that have to do with uh, abiding in my word? You're abiding in his word. You are spending time in his word. You are learning his word, meditating on his word, and frankly, obeying his word. If you're not obeying it, you're not really believing it. And that means you're not believing the truth. So the holiness aspect is also woven through this. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John chapter 16, first part of verse 13, Jesus says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And John 17, 17, just as Jesus praying, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And of course, Jesus also said, I am the truth the way, the truth, and the life. Many, many verses in the Bible about truth, but as we must know the truth, uh, you know, we must be guided into all truth. God's word is truth. We have, to be, we have to know God's word. We have to be guided in God's word. 
If we are going to have our weapons bound to us by truth, we have to know the word of God. Again, everything's going to boil down to this. We can't just say, well, there is a belt of truth and I've been commanded to put it on, so in faith I put it on. You have to know truth, and truth must be learned, it must be studied, it must be meditated on. Uh, we have to read it, we have to listen, study to show ourselves approved. Then we can say this, because I know Jesus, I know the truth. Because the Holy Spirit indwells me, he guides me into all truth. Because I have absorbed and believed the word of God, I have the truth. Therefore, I go out today prepared to counter the lies of the enemy because all my weapons for spiritual warfare are bound together by the truth of God that I know. Now, I'm going to share these, these little confessions, these going out statements uh, uh, via email. So if you're not on the email list, see Matt Kreider before you leave or write it down on a piece of paper for me to give to him. Meanwhile, we look at the breastplate. Again, this is for our hearts, right? And this is one of my favorite themes in Scripture. It came up again yesterday at men's prayer. But remember, nothing will impede your prayer life. That will, nothing that will make your, uh, your prayers less effective than a sense of condemnation or your own inherent unrighteousness, unworthiness. Our hearts need to be protected from that, from that condemnation, from that sense of unrighteousness, because we will not pray in faith, we will not pray with any kind of expectation or authority if the only thing that is overshadowing us in those moments is, I know I don't deserve this, but I'm going to ask for it anyway. The only reason we have any expectation to receive anything from God is because he has promised things to the righteous and he has made us righteous. Never forget that that breastplate of righteousness is the righteousness of God, not the righteousness of you. It is his righteousness that protects you. That's why it says, again, put it on on it doesn't say generate that righteousness from within you put on the righteousness of god in christ we are righteous in god's eyes because he looks at us he sees jesus why because he has placed us in him for that reason second corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the great exchange. Remember, new lives for old, right? Right. And once again, it comes down to knowing what God has said about you. Again, it comes down to hearing, knowing, studying the word of God, being led by the Holy Spirit into this particular truth. And you say, but I know me. I'm not righteous. No, you don't feel righteous. And you maybe, maybe don't, probably don't always manifest righteousness. But don't disagree with what God has said. He knows you better than you know yourself, and he still loves you. Remember, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much he loves us. Okay? So, and he did this, why? so that we could be counted righteous. Because if we're righteous, we are rightful inheritors of all of his promises. So, we can say this. 
God has made promises to the righteous, and those promises are mine because I am the righteousness of God in Christ. My righteousness does not depend on me, but on the finished work of Christ. God has placed me in Christ through the new birth, so when he looks at me, he sees Jesus. My heart does not condemn me because there is no condemnation in him. So I go out today armored with the breastplate of his righteousness. The shoes. The application is built right into this one, remember, because we are not shod with the gospel of peace. We are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The preparation and the application is built right into this piece of armor. Um, Again, we talked about it a few weeks ago. We are called to preach the gospel, and any believer can. Every believer should preach the gospel. I was talking to a guy, this has been several years now, but I'd I'd, uh, gotten acquainted with uh, members of his family, his kids, through Summer Scream Youth Camp. And then I was invited to fill the pulpit where he and his family attended church, and they ended up taking uh, Beth and the kids and me out for lunch. And so I was asking this guy, he was a state trooper at the time, to, to give me his testimony. You know, great lunchtime conversation. So he shared. He was in, in, in his late teens. He was kind of a rowdy guy. Uh, I don't remember a lot of the details, but somebody... It was a one-on-one conversation. It wasn't a church service. Somebody shared the gospel with him, and it pierced him. He knew it was true, and he was honest enough guy to say, this is true, and I have to act on it. He surrendered his life to Christ, and the very first thing he did, the very first thing he did after that was go home and preach to his brother, who also got saved that day. And it wasn't a matter of fear. It wasn't a matter of any... This guy preached the gospel that he had just heard And the only preparing he had done was surrender his life to Christ and love his brother. Now, it shouldn't stop there. But I'm saying if you're saved, if you're genuinely saved, you are qualified to preach the gospel because you at least know enough gospel to get saved and that's enough for somebody else to get saved. But again, let's don't get lazy about that. We are commanded to prepare. Uh, But... Here's another great testimony. This is from the Word of God, the woman at the well. What would she say? She just went back and said, hey, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. That's quite the evangelist there, right? But obviously, the more we know about the plan of salvation, the more we can share it, the more effectively we can share it. As we study the Word of God, we can answer more questions specifically, and we can reach a greater number of people. Even our testimony, I believe, should be prepared to an extent. Here's the apologist's favorite verse, 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready. Be prepared. Uh, Seriously, practice your testimony. I shared this at Men's Night Out a number of years ago. I think everybody ought to have a short version and a long version of their testimony. And it's worth muttering to yourself, practicing it, like like talking last week about practicing a speech so you know what you're going to say when somebody says, so you're a Christian, tell me about that. And maybe you've got five minutes to talk to them. Maybe you've got half an hour. If you've got half an hour, share the, here's what led up to this moment of salvation. Here's why, how I knew. Here's everything I could see God putting the pieces together. If you've only got five minutes, say, I came to this moment where I realized, and here's what I said. Here's how I know I'm a Christian. Uh, practice different versions of it. It needs to all be true, you understand. <laughs> But again, the more you know of the whole counsel of Scripture, the more effective you're going to be. And this is what made Apollos so effective. 
Let's read this in Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Now, Paulus got saved, and he was a pretty effective guy. He was naturally gifted uh, with eloquence, and he knew the scriptures, but he didn't stop there. He was probably a better preacher by nature than a lot of people are by training, and yet he was taken under Aquila and Priscilla's wings, and they instructed him even more accurately, and what was the result? He became even more effective in growing the body of Christ and discipling the body of Christ. We should be able to do that too. So we should be able to say, I go out to battle this morning prepared. I am ready to preach the good news and defend my faith because every day I understand the way of God more accurately. The Holy Spirit will bring scriptures to my memory that I have learned and he himself will fill my mouth with the right words and answers. I am someone going somewhere to do something for God. The shield of faith. We also hit this one pretty hard a couple weeks ago when we looked at it. Uh, for the shield of faith to be able to quench the fiery darts of the enemy, what? It has to be saturated in the word of God. Faith begins where? Where the will of God is known. So we must know the will of God because this is what is going to be the backbone of our faith. This is the word we need to saturate it with. Remember that the demons love the dry places. Places where the water of the word of God is scarce. Because where there is water, those fiery darts can find no purchase and they are ineffective. It is not enough to read it. If you are going to be tr uh, truly in faith, you need to be soaked in it. Uh, and again, we hit that, even the application part, pretty hard when we looked in detail at the shield of faith. Uh, but when we know this, when, when, when it becomes instinctive to respond to circumstances with the word of God, we can say this. I go out today fully equipped and supplied by the promises of God. The enemy will try to steal these from me, but I will extinguish these attacks with the word of God. Faith is my shield, but that, and that shield is soaked and made effective by the word, so no weapon formed against me will prosper. I know what God's will is, so when something opposed to the will of God confronts me, I will speak the word in defense. The helmet. Again, we start, since the helmet of salvation, we start by recognizing that salvation is a gift and that from the moment we become converted, saved, born again, we are given a new spirit. And that salvation protects our minds as they are being renewed, but we have a part to play in that protection. We must think about, meditate on, and set our minds on things above so that we will walk after the spirit rather than uh, pursue the lusts of the flesh. We talk about worldviews and mindsets, and these are certainly scriptural uh, ideas. 
It means that when we look at things, examine things, talk about things, interpret things that are going on in the world, we need to be doing that through the lens of God's revealed will. We have to know what God's word says about something before we can pass accurate judgment on it. Uh, and that means uh, we have to know what God has said about as much as possible. Certainly everything that we encounter day to day. And some of this is pretty obvious. But if God calls something sin, we need to be bold enough to call it sin. We need to recognize through the lens of Scripture that there is good and there is evil. There is right and there is wrong. Okay, righteousness versus sin. Uh, and all of this in light of the revealed will of God, the logos. We cannot do that without what? Without knowing what the Word says. So again, read it, listen to it, study it, and think on these things. And then say, I go out today declaring that I will view and think about things from God's perspective. I know God's will, and I will not entertain thoughts that oppose that will. I will dwell on his goodness. I will think about his love for me. I will recognize when my thoughts and behaviors are contrary to his will, and I will return to the lover of my soul in repentance. My mind, my thoughts, my will, and my emotions are protected by my very salvation and are being brought daily into agreement with his will. And the sword. The sword is the word itself woven through all these other pieces of the armor, obviously. It's more about wielding the sword in this case than putting it on. I mean, yeah, you can sheathe it. It's hanging there on the belt of truth. But for the sword to be effective, it has to be unsheathed and swung, right? We advance the kingdom of God, casting out demons, healing the sick, and delivering the life-saving message of Christ by actively using the word of God. And again, this is rhema. The sword of the Spirit is the rhema. And the rhema is not simply the spoken word. A, more, a better way of understanding the rhema is the written word spoken. There is power there. We can't speak what we don't know. It should come from our hearts. We fill up on the written word of God, the heard word of God, the preached word of God, the taught word of God. And then when it becomes real to us, we speak it out with conviction. That's rhema. It's also a Bible school in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. We've learned a lot over the years about the power of the tongue, haven't we? That our words have power. Uh, whether we're speaking God's word or not, our words have power. It's why we need to be very, very careful about what we speak. And I could go down that trail a long ways about the power of the tongue and have in the past. But for right now... Uh, suffice to say that if we know the word, we believe the word, and speak from a place of genuine faith, our words can move mountains. They can absolutely change circumstances. I'm going to give you a, a testimony. It's been a few months since I shared this. I've shared it many, many times, and I know uh, even though I've shared it many, many times, there are some uh, people in here who probably have not heard it because we've seen a lot of new faces in the last few months. And I'll keep it short. I better not see an eye roll. So if you're going to roll your eyes, close them first. I've heard it, Pastor. It's my back story, all right? Not my back story, the story about my back. It's like this, this is not a superhero origin story. First, the back story. Before I gained my power. Did I tell you I got stung by a bunch of bees a few weeks ago and was hoping that I would turn into like Bee Man or something like that? I only got stung in one leg, though, so I was ready to go out the next day and 
stick my other leg in the hive to see if I could equal it out. I didn't want to be hopping around with one super-powered leg. Sorry. Didn't mean to go there at all. I had a, uh, without going too far back into how this original injury happened, I, I suffered a back injury on the job years ago, and then years later, uh, this, uh, this pain would recur for a few days at a time, make it difficult to bend, uh, bend over, put my shoes on things, and one day I woke up and I literally could not walk. Uh, it was a crippling, literally crippling episode of sciatica. I had never experienced pain like this. I agree. I understand. Many of you have been through worse. I have not. Okay? There, there's my caveat. But it was terrible. Uh, every time I put my foot down, it felt like I was stepping on a live wire, and the pain was not just in my back. It was in the ball of my foot, my calf, uh, my buttocks. And it was just this electric, painful feeling. And uh, I mean writhing pain. Hardest thing in the world all day long was simply to find a, a comfortable position to sit or stand in. Uh, and I attacked this from the get-go uh, with the Word of God. I put myself, uh, I, I had to put pillows on the ground, but I would kneel, I would, I would rise early in the morning. I was, I'm an early riser anyway. And I would kneel, uh, just kind of face down on the couch and speak God's Word over my back. And manifestly, man, nothing changed for a week. But I always, every time I prayed, I just felt this comforting presence of God. And I wasn't thanking him for the pain, but even in the midst of pain, God was showing me things about myself. Uh, he was showing me things about compassion, about, passion, uh, about fervency and prayer for others. And it was overall, by the time it was said and done, it was an enriching experience. I do not believe God caused that pain, but God used that pain. And the great testimony during that time was, I never felt like I was far from God. I never doubted that my healing was coming, and it did. Praise the Lord, I was up and walking around in a week or two. And almost exactly a year later, I wake up and I can't walk again. It just, boom, it hit me almost overnight, and this was terrible. It was even worse than the first time. And I thought, well, there's some things I didn't do that I should have done. There's some things I didn't do to maintain my health. But here we go. I know how to fight this. And got right back at it, speaking the word over my back, thanking him for my healing, declaring, I know that healing belongs to me. I'm a child of God. Jesus is born sciatica. He's born this inflammation. Everything that's causing pain has already been born by Jesus. I do not have to keep this. And I'm saying everything that I said a year before, and starting from day one, it felt like my prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. I stayed dedicated. I continued to speak the word of God, but it was almost torture. It felt like a waste of time. I didn't feel that comforting presence of God. It, I felt veiled in darkness. But I kept speaking the word of God. Now, this went on for a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. Many of you were here and remember the shape I was in. I would come in. Uh, leaning on a cane. It was all, you know, I have to lower myself slowly to a sitting position. I was irritable. Uh, my children uh, were very young, and I was feeling very sorry for myself because I wanted to go out and play in the snow with my son and roll around and, and run around, and I couldn't. And I remember one night, it was right before uh, the Solid Rock Christmas party. I was youth pastor at the time. And it was a beautiful snowy evening, perfect night, and I'm sitting there, in my easy chair, trying to be comfortable, and my wife, bless her heart, every time she'd walk by, 
She'd put her hand on my head and say, thank you, God, for healing my husband. And folks, I, always, I almost always include this in the testimony. If you think it doesn't matter who you marry, oh my goodness. It, do, it doesn't just matter that they're a Christian. They better be a Christian who believes like you do. You, do not, you are one flesh with one person in this world, and that's your spouse. If there's one person you need to be in agreement with, it's your spouse. Okay? Now, I say that to those of you who still have a spouse to choose. Okay? Now, the... Uh, I'm sitting there in this chair, and all of a sudden, I just start, not just weeping, I start bawling. I had just hit a point where everything, these weeks of pain, and my frustration about not sensing any progress, not even sensing the, sensing the comforting hand of God, just built up to a point where I just broke, and I start crying. And Beth, Scott, what's wrong? I said, I don't know, I'm just feeling really sorry for myself. I am worn out. I feel like I can't fight this battle anymore. And uh, she prays with me. She babies me a little bit. And then we came down here to the party, and I sat in a booth just kind of. <laughs> and uh, the next morning, I think the kids, uh, or Riley anyway, had uh, practice for the Christmas program. And uh, Beth asked if I wanted to come down. I said, you know, I said, I, I don't feel like going anywhere. On the other hand, I feel even less like being alone in this house. So I came down to the church, and I just sat out there in the lobby, leaning on my cane, and uh, I'd only been sitting there a few minutes when the men were coming out of the fellowship hall for men's prayer, and Roger Beals said, hey, pastor, uh, we, we just prayed for you. He said, Ken Beatty had a word and said, I feel like I need to stand in your midst and have you lay hands on me as if I am Pastor Scott, and we speak to this pain in his back. And in that moment, the dam just broke again. I started bawling because as he's sharing this with me, God showed me something. It's the closest I've ever had, closest thing I've ever experienced to a vision, an open vision, because this image just flooded my mind. And I, what I saw was me swinging my sword, the Word of God, right? Speaking to my back and dropping to my knees in complete exhaustion, feeling defeated. And in that moment, as I picture the men in this church speaking God's word over me, I turn around and there are 30 strong men. After all these years, I can't get through it. 30 strong men with their swords up, swinging them on my behalf. Say more to God. And wow, that's the day the clouds broke. I would love, I would have loved for that to be the day my healing manifested. That was a Saturday. I woke up Sunday in just as much pain. Monday, just as much pain. Tuesday, just as much pain. Wednesday, just as much pain. But those days were not like the weeks before. I woke up knowing, feeling like I had the year before. Yes, I'm in pain, but I'm healed. And, and my prayers are no longer bouncing off the sea. They never were, you understand. They just felt like it. These were fiery darts. This was the devil making me, trying to make me believe. But I kept speaking the word of God, and that was the shot I needed, knowing that I wasn't the only one speaking the word of God over myself. And, and it, it wasn't. That's a little bit better, then a little bit better, then a little bit better. I woke up Thursday morning healed. Completely, manifestly healed. 
Now, that, that's, it was a miraculous healing. And it was such a relief. But I am convinced that had I given up a week before, never mind. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I'm done. I can tell that my words are making no difference. I feel no different. It doesn't even feel like God's hearing my prayers. And isn't that something like you're looking for something and you've walked miles, you've walked miles, and you give up, and if you could just see it from God's perspective, you were almost to the corner, and there was your answer. Keep speaking the word of God, even when you don't feel it. Now, I spent a lot of time on that. The sword of the Spirit, our offensive weapon, is the word of God. When we are wielding our sword, when we are ready to engage in the battle with our swords, we say this, I go out today not only protected but armed with the sword of the Spirit because I have studied to show myself approved and I rightly divide the word of truth. When I am facing the enemy, I know what to say because the word of God indwells me richly and I will speak the word consistently and effectively in Jesus' name. Now, this last part, when we think about what I just shared about wielding our swords on behalf of others is a great way to introduce where we're going here in just a minute. But first, in fact, let me say this. What we're getting ready to do is take communion. And praise and worship team, I think you can be making your way up here. Here is a wonderfully, I find it, a wonderfully comforting truth about spiritual warfare. Because man, when you think about devils and demons and attacks and fiery darts and flaming arrows and deception and temptation and all these things that are waging war for our hearts and minds, it can be a little scary. This is why the classical imagery of demons and devils is, is on purpose scary. But the nice thing about facing these battles is we are not going into battle alone. We are part of an army. And I'm not just talking about the angel armies. I'm talking about us together. We are in this thing together. And we need to be in it together on purpose. So before I say what I'm going to say with relation to that and communion, I want to ask you this. Stand up with me for a minute. You've been sitting a while and you've been listening well. I appreciate it. But shake it loose. Because this is important. If there's one person in here who hasn't heard this or hasn't responded to it, this is the most important part of the message. You are not created, you are not meant to go through life alone. There is no better place to be than in the body of Christ. All these promises, all this armor are for believers. They are available only to believers. The devil hates you whether you're saved or not. And, his, and he might treat you well, but his goal is to keep you from accepting Christ, from surrendering your life to Christ because he hates you and wants you to die without Christ. If you have never confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, if you have never personally said, I need to be saved, I need, we talk about that born-again man, that reborn spirit, I need that. It is for this life and it is certainly for the next life. The root of fear, and I'll develop this probably in a message, maybe even next week. The root of fear is that this life is all there is. 
if something bad happens to me, my whole universe ceases to exist. I can act fearlessly because I know this life isn't all there is. If, every, if everything goes wrong, what happens to me? I go to heaven. That's where confidence, that's where fearlessness comes from, that conviction. If you don't have that confidence, I want you to raise your hand and say, Scott, I need that. I need Jesus. I need to avail myself of the price he paid for my salvation. I need to recognize that he went to the cross for my sin, and I want to surrender my life to him. Is there anybody who needs to make that decision today? Scott, today's my day. I want to be a Christian. Anybody? I'm going to pray real quick and ask one more time. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the sword of the Spirit. Thank you for every aspect of this armor, every piece of this armor, and for indwelling us by your Holy Spirit. It's my prayer, Lord, and I believe that it is the prayer of every believer in this room that if there is one person here, if there are any people in here who have not yet responded to the truth, to the salvation, to the gift of eternal life that you have offered through of the blood of Jesus Christ, that you would convict them of their sin, that you would convict them of their need, and that you would grant them the courage and the humility and the wisdom to receive that gift today in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.